listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 R. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for October 17th to October 21st. Uh, highlights this week. Dr. Jen came in and talked about superpowers we had as babies that, that we've since lost. And also uh, we had a discussion about our childhood money-making schemes. Yes, yeah, some good scams there. And uh, Simone Bolly reviewed, gave a rave review to the Adam Curtis new film Hypernormalisation. And then we had a discussion about questions we hate being asked. It's time for Weird Science with Dr. Jen. How are you going, Jen? I'm feeling great, thank you. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> yes. I didn't say I was great. I was feeling great. <laughs> We're talking today about the superpowers that we had as babies that we've since lost. This is a mystifying topic. What superpowers are these? Well, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because we tend to think of babies as pretty useless. You yes, know, they, they can't useless. survive without us. And they can't talk, they can't walk, they can't look after themselves. So, you know, we always focus on all the things babies can't do. But then I discovered this huge area of research there's all sorts of things that babies can do that we can't. How cool is that? Very cool. Yeah, it depends what it is. Well, <laughs> well, if I tell you it's to do with monkey faces, does that help? What? Oh. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> so, so, okay, so we'll preface this by saying there's actually lots of things that babies can do that we can't. And I think I'll start with monkey faces just because it's one of my favourites. So the idea is that um, as humans, we're pretty good at picking the differences between human faces. You know, some people say, oh, I've got a terrible memory for faces. But on the whole, we can see faces. We can tell they're different. We, you know, we remember them, right? Mm. But we're really bad at doing that for other species, even primates. So even monkeys and apes, which have actually quite similar faces to our own. So researchers who work with primates tend to pick differences between individuals by, you know, their behaviour, if they've got particular habits or personalities, or maybe they've got differences in their fur or, you know, things like that. We're really poor. We cannot pick the differences between monkeys by their yes. faces. But babies can. Wow. Really well. Little they? babies, so kind of six months or younger, are incredibly discerning when it comes to the faces of other species, other animals. They can pick minute differences that we just cannot see at all. Well, so how, okay, how do they find that out? How did you find that out? How do you test so babies all, and monkeys? So all of the tests that I'm going to talk about today all are all based on one very simple phenomenon that has been proven time and time and time and time again, and that is that babies spend more time looking at new things. So babies are really interested in novelty. So if they've never seen something before, they will spend a lot longer looking at it and staring at it than if they've seen something before. So all of the tests I'm going to talk about rely on that fact that you can test what a baby's, um, what a baby can, uh, how you know how a baby can tell differences between things by just how long they look at it, which okay. sounds really simple, but it's very it's been shown to be absolutely foolproof. That's how we can tell what babies have seen before and what differences they recognise. So if I show you two different monkeys, and then I show you those same two different monkeys at another time, you can tell if a baby remembers them or not. Because if they've seen them before, they won't look at them for very long. It's like, oh, I've seen you before, you're boring. But if you show them a new different monkey, then they'll stare at it for longer. Wow. So why would a baby need to know the difference in monkey faces? Well, we don't need to know the difference in monkey faces, but the point with all of these superpowers is that we are born with these incredible brains that are capable of learning pretty much anything. So the the stats are pretty astounding. We've got we get 700 new nerve connections in our brain every second in the first few months of our life. And by the time we're three years old, 
we've got a thousand trillion connections in our brain, which is more than double than and than you or I have as adults. But over time, we prune away the connections that we don't need, right? So we have all these superpowers, all these skills that if we practice them, we could continue to have as adults. But, you know, it's not that useful to be able to tell the difference oh. between one monkey and another monkey, unless, you know, at the age of three months, your parents decide they want you to be a primatologist <laughs> and they make you practice on monkey faces every day. So you just lose the skill. And there's all these other skills. So most of the research is about language. So it turns out that newborn babies can tell the difference between the sounds in any human language but we soon lose the ability so a newborn can can immediately tell the difference between their native language and any other language they can hear it's different they can even tell just by looking at a silent video so they can lip read you can sit a little three-month-old baby in front of a video no really so picture a three-month-old sitting there watching a video no sound of someone switching between speaking say english and french the baby can tell just by looking at the shape of the mouth when that person is speaking but the two different do, languages. How, how, do, how do we know that they know that? Again, because you see, they look away, they get bored. When someone continues speaking the same language, they look away, they get bored. As soon as somebody switches to a new language, they immediately look back and stare at it because it's new. But by eight months, uh, the only, um, only bilingual babies can tell that difference. So by eight, month, we've all, eight months, we've already started to lose the capacity to tell different, different languages apart. You'd feel like that would be a skill that would be helpful to us, you know, in the long run. Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, the point is you start to be highly tuned into only the languages that you hear. Mm-hmm. So you start off being able to hear any sound and they've tested, you know, how different languages have particular different sounds. One of the really good studies was between English and Hindi and a newborn baby can can tell the difference between these tiny subtle differences in Hindi, but by one year you can't hear it at all unless and, you're exposed to people around you speaking Hindi. And, and this is before they know the meaning of the words, isn't it? Well, that's one of the other studies showed that actually by six-month babies know the meaning of lots of common words. We think they don't, but again, so they um, they have pictures of particular objects, you know, maybe like a face, a an apple, a bean, I don't know, whatever it is. And if you say to the baby, which one is the bean, they will look at the picture of the bean or the face or whatever it is. So actually babies understand a lot more than we give them credit oh, for. Oh, now um, I want a six-month-old baby to try. <laughs> <laughs> but the language, so, so the language thing, what's the point? And yes, I mean, you can say, yes, it would be really useful, but I guess our brains just can't maintain all the skills, so we keep the ones that are useful to us. Mm. So we get to the point that we only can hear the sounds of the languages that are spoken to us. And they've done really interesting tests to see if you can teach a baby a language by sticking it in front of a video and having it listen to, you know, just watch a screen with somebody else talking a language. And we absolutely don't maintain the ability to hear differences in sounds if we just see a video of someone talking it. You actually have to mm. have real live people speaking the language with you and interacting with you. Is there any evidence that um, people can actually maintain this if... if if the parents do concentrate on sort of language acquisition from yeah, a very early age? absolutely. I mean, if you're brought up multilingual, you can absolutely be multilingual for your whole life. You just have to keep hearing those sounds from the very beginning. But what about these sort of superpowers that you're talking about? Uh, no, I think some of them are kind of program changes in the brain. Some of them they probably can. I mean, the, the monkey face thing, if babies kept practising looking at monkey faces, they could keep doing it. But one of the really interesting things is we have this thing called perceptual constancy, which is just basically a word, uh, basically describing how we make sense of the things we see around us. So the best analogy I can give you is imagine you're standing on a train platform. There's a train coming towards you. 
when it's a long way away, it's just a tiny dot, right? It's probably black. It's probably a fairly indiscernible shape. As it comes towards you, it gets bigger and bigger. It starts to look like a train. It has a different colour or that sort of thing. But you know that the, shape, that the train isn't actually changing shape. You know it's not getting bigger. Your brain can just say, oh, that's a train. As it comes towards me, I'm just seeing it differently. Babies don't have that. They don't have that trick of perceptual constancy, which means they're kind of overloaded by this constantly chaotic changing world but it means they can see things that we can't see so you can show a baby three pictures that to our eyes are pretty much indistinguishable but have very slight changes and babies can pick the differences between them but that's kind of a pre-programmed change just we develop this capacity to not be overwhelmed by what's around us as we age so the sort of you know there are different different things going on some things I think we don't have any control of just our brain matures we lose connections we lose skills but other things I would think if you keep practicing them and doing them then yeah you could maintain those skills definitely with language mm. is there a way that we can um then go back and tap into some of these as well so if you haven't maintained it could you go back and see if you could tap into a few i don't think so i think because ah. once your brain's kind of you know focused in on the things that are most useful to you i mean there's other things that that we get better and better at so there's you know you tend to think that like a baby toilet is just... training for instance <laughs> yes hopefully yeah. we get better at toilet training <laughs> should, should we ask Jeff, any personal questions? <laughs> no, but things like, you know, you tend to think of a baby as just completely selfish and self-absorbed and having no awareness of what's around it. That's also completely false. It turns out babies are learning all the time. So if, if a baby's sitting here watching you guys, Jeff and Jez, have some interaction and one of you does something that the other one doesn't like and, you know, let's say Jeff picks up a toy and, and Jez gets really angry with him. As a baby, yes. I'm sitting here watching and I will learn from that. I'm hugely tuned into what you're doing and I'll know not to to pick up that toy unless I want to make you angry. So, you know, babies are developing new versions of becoming kind of socially aware and, and watching how adults interact with each other. But no, I think other things, it's just gone. So we just have to accept babies are cooler than we thought. And yes, they are. They're not just little blobs. No. <gasps> Love it. Yeah, no, I love it too. I just want to go and watch all these experiments they do with babies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see my uh, new twins' nieces um, after this, so now I'm going to go and test a whole lot of things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, test them on music because babies oh. also have an inbuilt sense of rhythm. So if you get a baby listening to a drum beat and all of a sudden you change the drum beat, they can hear the difference. Even if it's only the tiniest change, their brains actually respond. So you can, you know, wire them up, look at their brain, what's going on in the brain. If you change the rhythm even only to the tiniest bit, their brain's like, whoa! Oh, that's not what I was expecting. That's not the rhythm I wanted. That is so Ooh. cool. Bring them a monkey in as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, more than one would be helpful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Gent. We'll see you again in a week's time. See ya. Three triple R. I don't know if you saw, uh, yesterday I found this story. It's so beautiful. There's a young boy, um, a seven-year-old, uh, in from Brisbane, who saved up um, three years worth of selling lemonade at the front of his house, and bought a pony. This no, really I haven't seen this. Really, who sells lemonade at the front like of the house? Feels like one of those like, ye olde Americans. Totally, a lemonade stand to buy a pony. Yeah, uh, Sebastian. Uh, Where's he mate. from? Sorry, Scarborough, north of Brisbane. He set up a, a business selling lemonade. Um, and it's he said he used uh, they used um, traditional lemonade like you know with the lemon and sugar yes um, and he was selling the lemonade for twenty cents a cup and he saved up for nearly three years 
Um, he sold lemonade for three years. Mm-hmm. And he saved up uh, and his mum said that uh, for three years he kept putting money in a jar and kept praying to the pony gods. I'm suspicious of this child. What do you mean? I'm suspicious of the whole story. Yeah. What? What? what you bitter, bitter <laughs> people! A young, young boy worked hard for three years and bought a pony. What? what is, <laughs> who's buying the lemonade for three years? You reckon his neighbours are just going, "Oh God, twenty cents." Bloody, bloody no, no, yeah. I reckon he, he moved up to. Would you buy it? He you... should go and work for those companies that take names on the streets and stuff. He should start. You know, you get approached by those people. Oh, can I speak to you? Today, please. Maybe this is the kid that everyone was talking about in terms of not having the smashed avo and being able to buy houses. Yeah. So Sebastian's lemonade was made the traditional way of lemon and sugar and became so popular that he would regularly sell out. And then he took that money and he put it in a jar and he saved it. And he prayed to the pony gods. And he prayed to the pony gods (laughs) and then he bought Tom. The pony. Tom the pony. He saved nearly $3,000. With 20 cents a cup. Well, obviously, maybe it, it went up. Maybe he started at 20 cents a cup and then, you know, inflation came in and he started selling <laughs> well, he got people bottles addic- of... Got I reckon people he addicted said, to it and raised the price. He said, uh, oh, you also sold iced teas mm, as well. I'd buy an iced tea. See? I the the, the point for- is that he worked hard and he saved and he... Bought himself a bloody pony. <laughs> when I was a kid, me and uh, my best mate, when we were about, we were really young, we went into her mum's uh, bathroom and poured all of her creams into plastic tubs, like takeaway tubs. Jeez. Okay, I know, right? All of them into plastic takeaway tubs and five of them, put them in a plastic bag, left the house and went door to door trying to sell these creams as like <laughs> magical wrinkle creams. How Are bad is serious? that? Yeah. And one lady gave us $10. I think she just felt, thought we were homeless or something. And then we... <laughs> And then, and then my mum came to pick us up and she discovered what we'd done and then we had to go back to the lady and and the lady didn't even take the cream but she gave us the $10 and then we had to give her the $10 back. He's a bag full of cream. <laughs> in takeaway, in like Indian takeaway containers. But how much cream was there? What kind of cream? Like all different, like, you, you know, like Nivea and... But just all moisturiser. Yeah, all mixed together with a stick. So it was all... <laughs> oh, yeah. And you... Oh, I know. I what feel like you, were you, what did you want money for? I don't know. I can't even remember. Whose idea was this? I can't remember. We got in a lot of trouble being her. I feel like this is, this is illustrating yeah. the difference between you and um, Sebastian. I know. <laughs> That's oh. odd. who knows what that will be, but let's find out. Oh, we oh, can't. No, we the can't. phone's, the phone's busted, not guys. working. Oh. I'm so sorry. Oh no. Oh, it's working again. Let's try. Can you? No, it's, the person's gone. Oh, sorry, so everybody. Back. That's sorry. probably for the it's best. Probably my best. Maybe friend, so. was someone calling? Oh, it's probably Sebastian. That's so funny. I'm trying to think of when I had schemes like that, but I didn't. I just waited until I was old enough to get a job and then I... would save up. I was obsessed with... uh, I didn't really get pocket money, but occasionally I'd get 20 cents for doing something, like making my sister a cup of tea or whatever, and I remember saving up to buy a troll doll. That was the first thing I ever saved up for. (laughs) (laughs) And I bought it from the reject shop and it was one of... It was terrible. Um, Hello, you're on Triple R. Hello. Oh, hi. How are you going? That's weird. Um, oh, it's very loud. Oh, sorry. You're on air. Were you ringing for any reason? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I just wanted to point out that kid would never bought a pony if he'd been wasting his money on smashed avocado. Oh, 
<laughs> this is a very good point. Yeah. I know. Damn millennials. Yeah. He would have had to wait like another two years. <laughs> 25 years to get his pony. The kid who knows how to work hard and you know, save his pennies. So, uh, you know. Good job, mate. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Gore. That was That's good. That was, that was worth answering eventually. Uh, we got there. <laughs> I mean, the first thing the first thing I managed to save up for properly, mm. like because when I first had it, it was just I just spent money on pies and sausage rolls at the stool, like that was you know, <laughs> and lollies, bars, bars, and lollies. Um, but eventually, I did. I bought a computer. It was like my first no, a computer. Yeah, I know because we, we didn't have a household computer. How this much did when you save I was, up? Must have been a lot of lemonade. No, yeah, this is when I was like you know an adult. <laughs> Like I was, ah. you know, first job out of high. Like before that, it was. So that's better than a troll doll. Yeah. And a reject shop. <laughs> I think I bought a little bin before that. Remember those little oh, bitty bins? Mini yeah. bitty bins, yeah. Had one of those. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> but I bought the computer and it was $2,000 that I said. And it was it's worthless now. But it was one of those ones where you, I had to go into this fancy computer store and go, I want that. And it was like they built it all. And stuff. It was just. I'm like. I don't know why I got all you of that. You saved up two thousand dollars. Yeah. How did you do that? I don't know. I lived at home. I lived at home. And then when I went to the bank, get this. I went when I went to the bank. Uh, they didn't give me enough. Like I. They didn't give me all my money. I was two hundred dollars short. Oh. At the mm. bank, but thankfully we knew the bank manager, so got it That's fixed. What happens when you live in Albury? Yeah, you know Are everyone. We taking- yeah, we're going to take a call. We'll see what's going on. Hello, how are you going? You're on Triple R. Oh, hello. Talking about money-making schemes. Yes. When we were younger, uh, we squeezed these little flowers and put the juice into water and went around selling it door-to-door as perfume. <laughs> but we, um, my cousin on our side, because she'd been in a car accident a couple of months earlier and had a big scar down the side of her face. Oh, my God. Everywhere. Everywhere we went, she'd make sure she showed them that. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Buy some perfume from an orphan. Children are so evil. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Thanks for we, your call. Um, we made about twenty dollars, and we were selling oh, them for about each. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Oh, oh, wow. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. See you, mate. Bye. Oh, that is so funny. That's better than lemonade. I can remember saving up as a kid to buy a guinea pig because the guinea pig that I had was lonely and it mm. needed a friend. And then when I got them, they ate each other. And that oh, was the end of it. No wonder you're the man you are. <laughs> Explain so much. <laughs> Hello, you're on Triple R. This is the telling thing. Oh, my God, I caught up yesterday. Oh, cool. lemonade store, lemonade store is not yet. I can tell you in Reza, my kid yesterday bought two things of lemonade for $3. Right off street. There you go. Really? Off someone in the street, some random? Someone, two girls, you know, it's still happening. They're not going to get a pony. No. Of course. You weren't worried hey, about I'm what might be in the lemonade? Uh, no, it was really, you know, hipsters. Jez, um, Reservoir's becoming a bit like Thornbury or something. Ah. Uh. <laughs> from the tree. Would have been from an old citrus tree someone had planted in the city, you know, whatever. Um, I used to have to sell horse poo. Oh. Uh, you know, raised wool, two bucks a bag, five hours work. Wow. Was that, were you in the country or was that in, in the suburbs? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's in the country. Oh, I was going to say, it might be a hard to sell in Thornbury, <laughs> but good job. <laughs> oh, thanks for your call. 
Oh, that's quite funny. Uh, I don't think would have thought it. I'm not sure that I would be game to buy lemonade from a just oh, a little. Oh, live a little. <laughs> no, that was my no, concern too. Was what if there was something Sebastian dodgy in it? sitting there ah. with his stall. I don't Remember think back in the 80s I when I'd you could do co- that and nothing happened? I think I'd call the cops if I saw him. What? Well, just selling you stuff you don't know what's in it. Like your story. You might have been sitting up a lemonade stall and it was full of, like, stuff you got from your... You guys need to lighten up. <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3 R. It's time to talk film with Simone Ubaldi. How are you going, Simone? Fabulous. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hi. Yes, film. Film and one particular film. <laughs> um, I was asking you off air whether everyone else knew who Adam Curtis was, and you told me that no, they didn't. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that people who are really hardcore into um, documentary probably might have a sense. Adam Curtis is a British documentary filmmaker, and he's sometimes described as a uh, as a cult filmmaker. But the reason why he's not very widely known is because his films aren't distributed. Um, in cinemas, they largely have been released, um, funded by and released on the BBC in the UK. Uh, so they just don't make it here unless people know how to seek them out online. Also, they tend to be very long and um, previously multi-part, so they're not really suited to... Um, Cinematic release. Yes, thank you, Geraldine. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so this one, hypernormalisation, it was released exclusively on BBC iPlay. Is this a thing for documentaries now that they just get released like that? It is for the BBC. I mean, if you think about it, there are lots of... Um, there's a sort of blurry line between what we call factual content and documentary, uh, which has a lot to do with the running length, but loads of factual content and documentaries are produced exclusively for television. Um, I don't know why, actually. I didn't look into why this particular film only went out on the iPlayer, but I think it probably speaks to the fact that Adam Curtis appeals to a very particular kind of mindset and person. Like, this film, Hypernormalisation, is... Geraldine, you ready? It's like two hours and 40 minutes long. That's very long. It's very long and it's very hard and dense, uh, but it's absolutely brilliant. What if you watched half an hour, half later. Yes, that's what I would strongly recommend. <laughs> Just chop it up. Yeah. Bite size. Yeah. Uh, so what it is, I should say, I want to make reference to Adam Curtis's previous films that I don't know how I got, I know I do, it's Radiohead. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is how I found him. He made a film called Bitter Lake, which, which essentially was about the quagmire of the war on terror. Uh, and then... In the, the content of the century, he made a series called The Century of the Self, which draws a, a link between the rise of um, psychoanalysis and marketing and consumer culture. And this film, Hypernormalization, is about how we got here. It's about how we got to Trump. It's about how we got to this state of really fundamentally not understanding what the hell is going on in the world. And when I describe to people the kind of bits and pieces that make up this film, they go, oh, yeah, because that's how I feel, just really confused all the time. And Adam Curtis attempts to tell a long-view historical story about why the hell it is we are all so confused and we don't understand what the hell is going on. That sounds like a big project. It's a big project. It is a big, dense project. This particular film starts in Damascus in New York in 1975. Uh, in Damascus, it talks about um, Assad Senior, uh, the leader of Syria, who was looking at that time for uh, a peace agreement to be negotiated by Henry Kissinger in the Middle East. 
and was failed by Henry Kissinger, who did sort of backdoor deals between Egypt and Israel that shut out the Palestinian people. Uh, Parallel to that, in 1975 in New York, we have the economic collapse of the city and there's a moment in that time when uh, the city of New York is going to issue bonds to banks in order to keep funding the city and essentially the banks don't come to the party and insist that in order to continue funding the city and buying the bonds, they're going to need to have increased political control over the development of New York City, which kind of introduces the figure of Donald Trump later on. Now, what I've just described to you is sort of the first 10 minutes of the film that goes for two hours and 40 minutes. And the path that it leads us through in getting to where we are today includes um, Muammar Gaddafi and the use of Gaddafi as this kind of pop villain by the West to justify a lot of their actions in the Middle East that he actually wasn't responsible for. It talks about the birth of the internet and how it went from this utopian vision of freedom from failed political constructs to being uh, just this mirror that reflects ourselves back to ourselves in this constant loop of self-comfort. It talks about... um, it talks about so many things that I've gone totally blank on what it talks about. It talks about uh, the, the rise of, like, Syria and how Syria slowly degraded over time that was basically triggered by the ire of uh, Assad Senior. It talks about the rise of suicide bombers that were sort of invented by Ayatollah Khomeini, adopted by Syria and have now been turned back on Syria in the civil war. And it talks about various other pop cultural things that have kind of fed into this stew of people uh, no longer trusting political systems and no longer having any forward momentum. So it talks about the rise of the Arab Spring and the Occupy Wall Street movement and how these things basically collapsed collapsed because of a lack of vision. And in the sort of final part of the movie, it talks about some stuff in Russia that I was not aware of and really blew my mind, which is that Putin... <laughs> you look at me like <laughs> I've, I've already heard... I've had enough. No, no, look the, at me. The, I want to know what happened in Russia. I'll tell you what happened in <laughs> Russia. So there's a guy called Surkov who's an advisor to Putin who had a theatre background who, when he came into power as... Putin's advisor started funding all these different uh, cultural groups in Russia that completely conflicted. So like far right neo-Nazi groups and these liberal humanist student groups and all these different opposing groups. And then he came out and said that that's what they were doing for the pure purpose of sowing confusion so that people just did not understand and destabilising the population. People don't understand why Russia is in Syria. At one point, Russia, uh, they call it non-linear warfare. It's just basically the warfare that's conducted to sow confusion and destabilisation so people don't understand what's going on. They announced that they were going to leave Syria and then they didn't go, things like that. That is... That is sounds so That's evil, doesn't it, in. as well? It's a lot to take in. It's super intense. Yeah. Adam Curtis's films are very polemical, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't go into these films thinking that it's the totality of reality, but that the links that he draws between different geopolitical and, and cultural movements are quite profound and fascinating Mm. and even if you try and reserve some cynicism and go well that's not necessarily the whole and complete story as one version of what could be happening it's fascinating and terrifying i have many many questions um (laughs) (laughs) how does he do this though like i understand he doesn't do talking heads does he no 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 it's all archival footage from the bbc's vaults so what you're looking at 
the whole way through the film, you're hearing Adam Curtis's voice, which is essentially speaking an essay, and you're looking at just like these streams and streams and streams and streams and streams of historical footage, sometimes juxtaposed in ways that are like mind-bending. There's this one particular sequence where there's this kid from America called Miranda Dunn and her little friends doing this hilarious little geeky dance move that must have become some kind of viral video, and that's juxtaposed with video uh, with footage of this elderly Russian couple being arrested bound and then murdered like it's incredibly intense and it's incredibly dense sometimes funny Geraldine not often right (laughs) not often but sometimes really wryly funny there's a whole sequence that is uh sort of he's talking about a sense of unease growing in the American population a sense of uh confusion disbelief and not understanding what their political leaders would trying would attempting to feed them and there's a whole sequence that's just pre-2001 of iconic american buildings being blown up and destroyed in american movies is this kind of like prescient sense of doom sense that something was coming so there's like all kinds of weird stuff like that and it's like it like you know the, the information that you're getting visually is like a mile a minute and it's like really an incredible like an incredible dense tapestry vision of how the world is and how it has become this way. Is it a conspiracy theory? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. No. Okay. Well, I mean, is this some some suggestion that this has all been planned or? No. No. It's, it's, his work is really about um, fumbling poor decisions. Uh, It's a bit like, you know, in retrospect by Robert McNamara, which Errol Morris turned into the fog of war, in which the former Secretary of Defence of the US came out many years after Robert McNamara, came out many years after the Vietnam War and went, um, here are all the mistakes that we made. Basically, we made all of these assumptions and we were wrong because we were, we were very arrogant and we had no idea what we were getting into. All of our assumptions were wrong. It's a very similar kind of um, position. The essay is basically like all, all of these assumptions and all these ways that the US have tried to... Uh, execute power are very visible you can see them the evidence is there but they were just very bad assumptions and they've led us into chaos how did you feel at the end scared okay (laughs) (laughs) scared it's is there hope though no, it's not that okay. kind of film. Okay. It's basically... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's not really intended to be scary. It's intended to offer you some explanation. Like for people who are like, how did Trump get this far? Yeah. This is a, this is okay. a documentary that in this moment is about how Trump got here. And um, it offers an explanation that I think even if you don't buy it wholesale, there are so many fascinating things in it. Okay. Okay. The film is by Adam Kurz. It's called Hypernormalisation. So it's on YouTube. YouTube. Hypernormalisation. Okay. Maybe Strongly we'll put the links out to recommended. it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Simone Yabaldi. We'll see you again in a week's Thanks, time. Guys. Five stars. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 FM in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I was at work yesterday, guys, and there's a, a young young boy that was there, like maybe eight or nine, who told me that um, informed me that he was a comedian. He goes, oh, "I'm a I'm a bit of a comedian," because we just uh-huh. pointed out that he has a cause he has a sister there, and we were like, "Oh, you, you stand out a bit more." And he goes, "Yeah, I'm not a wallflower. I'm a bit of a comedian." <laughs> he said that. I'm yeah. not a wallflower. <laughs> <laughs> How old is this kid? He's like eight. Or that is so cute. He's so funny. He's so funny. Because he's very dry as well. Anyway, he drops this. And I, go, and I said, I'm a stand-up comedian. And he goes, oh, yeah, show us, your, show us your comedy skills then. He said that to yeah. you. Who is this child? A future comedy star. Amazing. Uh, but it was just that, you know, when 
like a an eight or nine year old asked me to prove my comedy skills is it is a very difficult thing to prove. What, what could you yeah. possibly do? Did you do a little skit for him? No. I said, no, you show me your comedy skills. Ah, nice comeback. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it just made me think of, you know, obviously that is one of the questions that is just the worst thing as a comedian to be asked. Do people really go... Tell us a joke. Tell us a joke. All no. the time. Say something funny. Yeah, say, oh, yeah, you can say something funny. So what do you do when someone says that? Go, knock, knock. Who's there? No one. Who'd knock on your bloody door? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, sometimes. I've done it once or twice. I just go, oh. I just have a long conversation about. How draining you know, that question is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I want to talk about uh, questions you hate to be asked. And listeners, if you want to jump in on this, give us a call, 93881027, because we've all got them, oh, questions that you hate so to be many, asked. So many Have questions. you put on weight? No, so is it, no one asks. Well, yeah. occasionally they do. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, I've had that. Mm. You put That's on never... a bit of weight. If you think that I have, then I have, so yeah. don't ask me the question. That's bring horrible. It up. Mm. Yeah. Um, what football team do you follow? Oh, why don't you follow football? Yeah, what's the matter with you? Um, when are you going to get a proper job? No or one, no one has really asked you that, have they? Recently, people say to you, "When are you <laughs> going to get a proper job?" <laughs> they do. People say that all the time. Do they? <laughs> Who are you they talking say, to? Well, you know, they say, "What are you doing?" Say, oh, I do a bit of radio. I do a bit of radio. Well, don't say a bit of radio. I say I am one of the co-hosts of one of the greatest breakfast <laughs> shows in Melbourne. <laughs> <Bra> breakfasts. <laughs> Wow. Uh, I always – this isn't so much hate as awkward because I was a music writer um, and journal, journalist or whatever. I used to, when, when I tell people that, I'd tell people I'm a music editor or, or, or writer. Mm. They'd say, oh, yeah, you know, what's your favourite type of music or what's your favourite band? And I just – I'm like, that's a really difficult yeah. conversation it's to oasis. have. You know what I mean? Oh, shut up. <laughs> oasis. Hey, you're on Triple R. Hi there. Hi. What do you hate to get asked? Uh, what do you do? It's – Really difficult. Oh, oh. now oh. I want to know what you're doing. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're doing it. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but I, it's that question though where I just, it's the one that I want to ask all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's annoying to be asked. What do you do yeah. when, what do you do when people ask you that? Do you answer it or do you say, I don't want to answer that? Think of something better. Well, no, I, I, I resort to just answering it, it's, and it's always boring because it's just not a simple job description. Oh, make something so you up. Really go into details. It's, you know, you know, yeah. Just do something else. No. Just say you're an accountant. <laughs> yeah, right. That'll, that'll win you lots of friends. <laughs> yeah. But they won't ask any more questions. <laughs> I am kind of curious about what you do now, though. <laughs> Uh, I work at a university. There you oh, go. Beautiful. That's, that's, a good, that's a good answer. <laughs> I won't ask any more follow-up questions. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Hey, buddy. Hi, you're on mm. Triple R. Um, hi. Hi. Oh. hated being asked, when are you going to have children? <gasps> yes. Yeah. Thankfully, a... as a lesbian, I don't get asked that question anymore. <laughs> I'm at that age where that's literally the first question, a, a question everyone asked me. Meet a stranger in the street? Oh, when are you going to have babies? Get a coffee in the morning. When are you having babies? <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I used to hate it, but now I have a four in my number. And as soon as I got the four in my number, people stopped asking me. Ah, interesting. In your age. There you I go. I'm just, so once you're out of the threes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks for your call, mate. Hey, what do you hate to get asked? Oh, hi. Um, 
I've got two. One is, I, I just turned the radio off, so I don't know if some of already said it, but anyone who comes from the global majority is, i.e. not white, where are you from? Oh, yes. Ah, uh, yeah. But where are you really from? Oh, where yeah. Where are you from? <laughs> you know, yeah, Coburg. <laughs> bit like um, when I put on weight, it goes to my boobs and my gut. And all the time, people always think I'm pregnant. Oh. And I'm like, I'm not pregnant. I'm just fat. And so lately, I've been telling people, especially guys, that I have ovarian cancer. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so sorry. And it's just the best thing, because I'm like, fuck you, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thanks for your call. Oh, that is so good. I love that. Oh, dear. Um, let's see who else we've got here. Oh, no, we're missing all the calls. How are you, Triple R? Oh, hi. Um, we're still in the question. We're still yeah. the question. Tell us what you hate getting asked. Yes. All right. Okay, so I am married to a gorgeous woman man, and every time I meet somebody, they ask me, have you converted? <gasps> oh, what do you what do you do in response to this? Have you got a new stock standard response? Um, not a stock standard response. I haven't converted, um, obviously, but... Um, yeah, no, I just kind of, I have on the occasion, if I'm in a particularly shitty mood, um, I've kind of said, you know, we do you ask somebody if they're a Jew or a Christian or a Catholic? Yes. <laughs> like, is it relevant to our relationship or conversation right now? I don't know, they just had this assumption that if you marry an Islamic man, you obviously convert and then, you know, so. Oh, that would be so bad, but, but that's like, no one even would ask that if my partner was... Russian Orthodox? Are you going to convert to Russian Orthodox? No. <laughs> <laughs> what about that? And, so, and some people, and that's fine. But you know, I think it's a. Re- I, I kind of find it a bit of a personal question. No, but, totally. You know, what your what your you know your religion status or whatever. So anyway, I find that can um, quite amusing. No, I think that I think that's a, that's a good one as well. Thank you very much for your call. Yeah. See ya. I'm gonna. We'll get one more. Triple R listeners really hate being asked uh, questions. Just don't <laughs> ask questions. Hey, what do you hate being asked? Hey, well, yeah, I moved here from um, New York a few years ago, and whenever I, whenever I tell somebody that I moved here, they go, oh, why'd you do that? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, well, I could see that. I'm kind of interested, though. How did you do <laughs> I've always wanted to well, move to New York. And I'm a dual citizen, and I met my partner. She's from here, and I actually went to Meredith in 2010, yeah. and I went... This is all right. I can I can come here. I think. Really, oh, then Ma- Meredith was a change. Meredith converted you. That's such a good story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But people just have this assumption that you know Melbourne's a less than city, and I don't know. I, I think it's pretty great anyway. Oh, yeah, that's very Thanks, nice to say that. I appreciate that. Welcome to our country. Thanks <laughs> 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 for your call. <laughs> See you, Meredith. Why? <laughs> oh, that was good. Oh, people really hate being asked questions, don't yeah, they? Yeah, nobody should ask anything of anyone at ever. Yeah, that's a, that's a we'll good just idea. Just be quiet all Does the that time. That we have to stop asking people to call up and give us. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a podcast from Three Triple R, one hundred two point seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.